If you haven't heard already, you need to check out adfreeshows.com. We've started making announcements for a brand new schedule starting in November, including a ton of new content. First of all, all of our podcasts are going to have video and we're going to splice in some fun stuff. And I'm sure the shows will get better as they go. But a lot of times we have a, well, fairly heated or hilarious interaction. And you guys have said you wanted to see my co-host facials and how they uh, get tickled or fired up, whatever the case may be. It's coming to adfreeshows.com, but a ton of new content too. For instance, one of the things we just announced this past weekend I'm so excited about is our championship belt series. We're going to go talk to the folks who made these belts, who actually originally designed the art and crafted them. They're going to explain exactly what that process was like. We'll discuss briefly who ordered it, what we thought it cost to order, how long it would have taken, et cetera, et cetera, the whole manufacturing process. But then you get some beautiful 4K shots of the actual ring use belts after the fact. Of course, in between, we're going to show you all the great memories and moments that happened. You'll see lots of press clippings and magazine covers and promo shots, and just the story of those iconic championships. It's all coming to adfreeshows.com. I've also started a show part of my collection, including old boots and robes and things like that. And something we're calling the collection, some fun comedy stuff that I think you're going to dig, including mansplaining great friend of the show and independent wrestling superstar Mance Warner is going to try to explain illogical wrestling to our wives. That's right. Many of us have a wife in our life who is, uh, well, a non fan and we're going to have <laughs> Mance Warner try to make sense out of things like Katie Vick or the chamber of horrors or the kennel in a cell. It's going to be stupid and fun, and it's all happening at adfreeshows.com. Lots of new storytellers coming along the way as well. We're doing a Monday mailbag feature with veterans of the game, like Jerry Briscoe or Mike Hill. They were there for the good, the bad, and the ugly of the World Wrestling Federation. And, of course, Jerry was a wrestler himself and had ownership in Florida and Georgia. And now you get to pick their brain every single week at adfreeshows.com. One of my favorite shows I'm looking forward to, well, it's Dr. Tom's X-Ray. Maybe you have a favorite match, but why was it your favorite match? We're going to watch those old matches with him and he's going to break it down. Almost like Jod Gruden did his quarterback camp on ESPN for so many years. Well, this is the wrestling equivalent of that. We've even got a happy hour happening every Sunday night. You either get to chat with Medusa or rebel live on zoom, pick their brain, talk about wrestling, talk about life, have a little fun. Of course, we've got comedians along the way to make sure that we're entertaining you. There's so much great stuff coming your way, including brand new opportunities on how you can win lots of prizes. We're doing fun games like mystery opponent or caption it or name that theme parts unknown, the time limit draw in this quarter, create a gimmick. We're going to be giving away cool prizes every single day over at adfreeshows.com, including once in a lifetime experiences. We're going to line it up where you get a chance. That's right. You get a chance to go to breakfast with Tony and Jr. and then attend an AEW event in person. It's going to be a once in a lifetime experience. You want to talk about experiences. We've got a Saturday morning cartoon thing coming your way. That's going to knock your socks off. We've also got wrestling comedy theater with friend of the show, Cassio kid Did I mentioned we're getting a hotline. Yeah. There's going to be a hotline coming soon. So new columns will be there too. We've even got a cooking show that we're excited to tell you about called the getting heat cooking show. Of course you get all of the great ask series. I think I just finished ask Conrad volume 16. You get to pick our brain about literally whatever you want, but the big announcement that's coming soon, it's our conversation series. I don't want to give you a spoiler just yet, 
but this is what you've been waiting for. It's going to be so much fun. We haven't even announced it all yet. There is so much great stuff happening over at adfreeshows.com. If you haven't already, check it out and be sure to tune in this Friday. We're doing an exclusive Zoom. It's Hallow's Eve Havoc. Spin the wheel, make the deal. Myself, Tony Schiavone, of course, Eric Bischoff, and more all there chatting with you live and in costume. Yes, we're really doing it. It's Hallow's Eve Havoc, and it's happening at adfreeshows.com. I hope you'll check it out. You get all of our shows and our archives early and ad-free, but there's so much new exclusive content. It's worth another look. Go check out our reviews right now at isadfreeforme.com. We've even been told this is the best value in wrestling. Find out what everybody's talking about and come join in on the fun today and join us for Hallow's Eve Havoc at adfreeshows.com. The most hated jeweler in America is excited to introduce you to someone very special. She's beautiful, classy, and she's brilliant. She will dazzle you. People can't stop staring at her. Meet Krista. She's easy. Wait, what? Krista is Steven Singer's most loved engagement ring and takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, 100% eye flawless, near colorless, high quality, round, brilliant cut diamond, expertly set into a classic solitaire Tiffany setting that will withstand the test of time. Krista is available. She's ready for love and ready to meet you. Steven Singer isn't in the jewelry business. He's in the love business. This magnificent full one carat round, brilliant cut diamond is only 3198. Real jewelry doesn't have to be expensive. Plus free shipping and 12 months interest free financing. Steven's showroom is open by appointment only or go now to IHateStevenSinger.com and click on the Krista ready for love engagement ring. Steven Singer jewelers, real jewelry, real experts for your real love. That's I hate Steven Singer.com. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Brooks Pritchard. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson and you're listening to something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Dude, I'm fucking great. I got a question for you. All right, I'm ready. All right. Do you like like scary classic TV shows? Sure. And I may have talked to you about this at one time, but the all-time greatest, in my opinion, like television show, I like Alfred Hitchcock, and I love the Alfred Hitchcock hour. You ever watch that? Nope. Okay. Well, I know what it is, a though. Bit before your time. Yeah. Okay. Well, just by happenstance, I was looking at something else and it took me just down a rabbit hole for a second. And I said to myself, as I saw this thing, cause it was like the scariest 20 scariest TV shows of all time. I said, you know what, man? I said self. Yeah, I, I did. I was like, fuck them, man. Because the best and the scariest was this one Alfred Hitchcock episode that I'd never been able to fucking find. And I remember what it was about, everything about it. And I clicked on this fucking thing. And guess what the second scariest fucking TV show of all time was? The Raw where they blew up Vince McMahon. That would be number four. This was number two, the Alfred Hitchcock hour entitled The Jar. And it is about a, a, a country boy and he goes to the fair 
and he goes to the sideshow, and in the sideshow is an attraction called the jar. And you have to look at it, and you have to try and guess what it is. What, what does this jar symbolize? What is the jar? What is inside the jar? And this guy stands there for three hours, and he looks at it, he looks at it, he can't figure it out because it's just so mesmerizing. And then the little fella is a little person, older guy, looks a little like Sky Lolo. Actually, fuck, it may have been Sky Lolo for all I know. Uh, see how I made that rhyme? Yep. Okay, well, now it's time oh. to tell you about the jar. And then he sells this jar to the country guy for $12.25. And the way that he does it, there are so many things in this in this episode that are the business related because it's an old carnival uh-huh. it's an old carny guy and he asks the guy he says boy he goes you know he goes i don't know how much people would would pay for something like this and as the carny goes on, he goes, I don't know, $2, and the country boy smiles, big grin on his face. I don't know, but then again, it might be $4. The country boy still grinning ear to ear. And he says, ah, hey, it could get to six. I don't know. Something like this, probably talking about 10. And the country boy still smiling, big grin on his face, and then he gets to 14. And the country boy gets a real sad look on his face because he realized that's when the carny knew. He goes, okay, somewhere between 10 and 14 is my sweet spot as to how much money this boy's got in his pocket. He hit $12. That country boy got a big smile on his face. Says, well, that's all the money I got in my pocket. So the carny says, well, I might be able to part with this jar. And then I'm not going to give the rest of it to you because it, it, it is without a doubt. You watch it. The psychology is sound. It is fuck. It holds up. It was shot in the fifties, man, or sixties, early sixties. I don't know when, but Alfred Hitchcock hour, the jar, it is a lesson in life. And when you, you watch it today, you could redo this entire thing today and it would still be just as great. Sounds like a bunch of carny fucks. So it makes sense that you like it. Well, how about fuck you then? <laughs> All right, how about that? <laughs> how about two double fuck yous? I knew, I, I knew I'd get you fired up on that one. I'm excited you're here. This is a record for us. I don't think since you've been back, we've recorded this early. I'm so proud. Well, you know, <laughs> there, there's there's first and only time for everything. Well, let's not, let's not ruin our offer. You got a lesson in the jar. Dude, I cannot believe as long as we've known each other that I have not told you the story about the jar. No, now you've told me a story. Remind everybody again, the story that your brother wanted you to watch a movie and you were like, I don't get it. And he said, go watch it again. Well, that was called Carney, Gary Busey and Jody Foster. It's a great story about life. I may have to, uh, you know, during our little. Uh, quarantine Jones here. I may have to go check out both of those and give you a book report. You haven't watched Carney yet. No, you ignorant hillbilly bastard. You that's hurtful. Well, you know, goddamn, I am imparting bits of wisdom upon your head. It's like right now. It's like Bruce wisdom and shit. Just sprinkling a fucking all shit all upon your motherfucking head. And what do you do? 
You take goddamn little comb out, and you go, oh, shit, I got Bruce wisdom in here. I better get rid of that fucking shit. Don't want none of that in my beard or anything. Yeah, just like you're doing that, combing your fucking face. I got to tell you, I'm really excited that later this month, we're going to unleash the video for everybody. I've got a new camera and a light kit headed your way. Uh, by the end of the month, people will be able to see our shenanigans here. I just got your goddamn Christmas present too. So whoopty fucking do Christmas present. Yeah. You just got it today. I just fucking ordered it today. What do you mean? Ordered it. Don't worry about it. Oh, my present. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant what I sent you. And I'm like, buddy, that Did was a long time. Something? Yeah. Where is it? Probably the old house. Why the fuck's it at the old house? Why'd you send it to the old goddamn house? It might be in all of that fucking Bosch horse shit. You've never unopened. You've never opened. It's just, you're just piling treasures in the basement. I, I'm not saying that that couldn't happen. They were custom shoes. You don't remember them at all. I got those a long time ago. Well, that was that, believe it or not, that's our most recent Christmas. Okay. Well, yeah, that was last year. I'm talking about this year. Well, you said it like you just got my present. I know what you mean now, but I'm like, how did you just now get those that you should have had that a year ago? I'm with Dude, you. I now, took though. pictures of those. I called you the day I got them. Said thank you. I was pissed off that, uh, somebody else in your little click over there got them first. Yeah. Well, I, I shipped them at the same time, but you moved far, far away. I'm not that far away. Okay. Well, we are far away from King Kong Bundy. He is our topic today. Uh, Bruce, I had, two oh, oh, wait, wrong guy, wrong guy. Shit. I studied all about that King Kong Bundy. I had two sets of notes. Okay. And I was ready to do either one. And I said, Hey, which one do you want to do? And you said, you pick. So I took to the Twitter machine and did an old school poll. Now used to old be schizzle. old schizzle. We used to have, you know, like a week on these polls. And now since, uh, well, Things are a little more chaotic. I gave everybody 31 minutes to figure out <laughs> what they wanted. And to my surprise, it really wasn't all that close. King Kong Bundy got 54% of the vote. Taboo Tuesday got 45.7% of the vote. And that's the only vote we're going to talk about here today. But you want to know what's crazy? What? Is that um, in 31 minutes, we got. 1,833 votes. That's pretty good in a half hour. And remember how we wait to get that? Yeah, the show's grown just a little bit, Bubba. Well, that, that's fucking great. That's awesome. I, I just love them. And, uh, okay, I'm going to do something very uncharacteristic again for me. I've been doing a lot of uncharacteristic shit. I agree. Hold this up so you can see it. Can you see what that is? Uh, yeah, that looks like our man Dick Bourne's new book, The Crown Jewel, the story of the NWA world title from what, like 59 to 73? Yeah, and you need to send me Dick's uh, number yep. so that I can thank him personally because this is the, my favorite uh, championship belt of all time, the NWA World Heavyweight Championship uh, from, as you said, 1959 to 1973. This is the belt that was worn by Pat O'Connor, Gene Kaniski, Buddy Rogers, um, Dory Funk Jr. Harley Race wore it for a few short weeks or months before he dropped it on July 20th, 1973 in Houston, Texas to Jack Briscoe in the third fall with the Luthez press. Um, but it, it's, uh, it's interesting. And as I look back at some of the pictures that he has of this particular belt, 
you know, as a kid, you fantasize, and I got to hold this belt when on July 20th, 1973 in Houston, Texas, at the same Houston Coliseum, I was sitting in Section 5, Row 12, Seat 8, and Jack Atkinson, better known as Fritz von Erich, was holding this particular belt, and I asked him if I could look at it and hold it, and he did for a second. But to me, it was always uh, thick belt. gold and heavy, and, and, and it just appears to be very thin in real life. And that's bothering me a little bit, man. Christmas is going to be here before you know it. And unfortunately that's going to be extra stress this year with lots of added expenses. Of course you got to do your holiday shopping, but there's probably going to be some travel involved. Uh, it's just been a tough year, but I want to make this the best Christmas ever. And listen, you may have tried to do this in the past, but what you wound up with was a big credit card bill and a new year's resolution to get out of debt and actually start saving money. Why do we wait until next year to do that? Here's a pro tip for you. Don't put Christmas on a credit card. Go to savewithconrad.com right now. We're going to show you how to skip your single biggest bill for the next two months. If you haven't already, you don't have to make your November or your December payment. You're done until next year. And next year, of course, you're going to start the new year with no, you hear me? No credit card debt. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners get rid of all their credit card debt but take advantage of these great rates while we've still got them. You can pay your house off faster and do it with cheaper monthly payments, but maybe best of all, get the cash you need just in time for the holidays. Don't start 2021 off on the wrong foot where you feel like you're digging yourself out of a hole. Historically, most American families dig themselves into credit card debt that it takes months to dig out of all from Christmas shopping. Don't do that. There's a better way. Skip your next two house payments, get a better interest rate, lower your monthly payments, and get rid of your credit card debt just like that at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this? Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Well, it's when you're a kid, everything seems bigger and larger than life. And then you become an adult and you're like, well, maybe not so much, but this belt is, uh, I know you've told me for years and years, it was your favorite of all the NWA world titles. You grew up on this one. And of course it was replaced by what we now know as the 10 pounds of gold. And then of course, big gold, but this was like your one. So when Dick told me he was doing a book on this and he, he sent me a copy, I said, Hey, did you send one to Bruce? And he said, man, that's a great idea. I'm going to send it to his address. I said, well, hang on. He's moved since you wrote the last one. Here's the new address. And, uh, you got a, a special one, but everybody can grab their own right now over at midatlanticgateway.com, or you can just look for it on Amazon. It's called crown jewel, the NWA world championship from 1959 to 1973. And our old pal, Dick Bourne, who did the horseman book. He did the big gold book. He did the 10 pounds of gold book. His belt series continues. And, uh, I thought this would be right up your alley. So I'm glad a, you got it and B you remembered to put it over here for Dickie. It is well, because I, I, I damn near read almost half of it just, you know, in bits and pieces and parts that I wanted to read about, <coughs> pardon me. And, um, the, the part about Salvador Luteroth jr. And getting the jeweler in Mexico city to do the championship, which I had told you guys about. And some people poo pooed me, but, um, 
it's an interesting, a very, very interesting read if you're into that kind of thing. And it's the, the Holy Grail. And, and it was funny because I had always noticed that there were two different straps on this belt, two mm-hmm. different leathers. And, but I thought, I always thought, ah, oh, man, you know, it's in, in the old days, maybe they're just touching up the picture, making the strap look bigger in different parts. But the leather that Dory had on his was a much softer leather than the normal championship belts at that time. And I always thought that was cool as hell. Don't know why, but, you know, Thez taking the belt. And then the fact that the, the globe, the, the world globe on the one when Dory got it, that came off. And for years, I always thought that it was all just one piece, and it wasn't. That's freaking me out, too. Really cool book. So anyway, Check it out over at amazon.com or midatlanticgateway.com. Shout out to Dick Bourne, one of the best wrestling book writers around. Yes, sir. I highly recommend it. Let's talk about while we're here. It's King Kong Bundy, uh, the walking condominium Bundy! devastation himself. Just some of the names used to describe Christopher better known as King Kong Bundy. Did you ever call him by his real name or was he always Bundy to you? Uh, I used to call him Chris. Yes. Chris Palace. Palace. I believe Palace. I don't know how the hell you say it. Um, but I used to call him Chris. Yes. Because he was a very down to earth guy to me and that's how he referred to himself. So he was always just Chris to me. We're, nice co- guy. we're covering him today because tomorrow would have been his 65th birthday. He was born on November 7th, 1955 in Woodbury, New Jersey. He grew up with two sisters and three brothers. As a young man, he attended Washington township high school in Sewell, New Jersey. He became a heavyweight wrestler on the team, winning two regional titles. His brother, Jeff also wrestled, which likely made him even more competitive uh, amongst each other and everyone else. Bundy winds up graduating high school in 73, and then it's time to uh, look at the the wrestling business eventually. He winds up at the Monster Factory in New Jersey, of course, trained by the famous Larry Sharp. He had his first match on March 7th, 1981 for the World Wrestling Federation. Hell of a place to debut. A lot to unpack here. What can you tell us about New Jersey as just breeding ground for wrestlers, you know, in college football, historically guys look to Texas and Florida and perhaps California. Those are like prime real estate areas for recruiting is New Jersey, Minnesota. It feels like it's on a short list. Jersey is of places where a ton of great wrestling talent that we all know and love are going to come from. Well, at the time, there were so few places that you could go. There were no wrestling schools per se, with the very few exceptions of Larry Sharp's Monster Factory, which was in New Jersey. And if you wanted to get in the business and you didn't have that in, then that was one place that you could start because Larry would definitely take your money and, and Larry would definitely put you in a class to, quote, learn how to be a wrestler. And that was the reputation of Larry Sharp. Larry had a few students that made it, uh, Bundy being one of them, Bam Bam Bigelow being another one. But it was also of the reputation that Larry would take your money and, and weed you out pretty quick as well. 
but then he also was one of those guys that if he trained you and you made it, and if Larry got you booked, then Larry was going to take a percentage of your money quote for the rest of your career. Um, Vern did that. You know, there were different guys that did that. Um, that was also kind of part of the norm. Some people were okay with it. Some people frowned upon it. Let's talk about some of the names. You know, one more time. No, sorry. I thought you cut your mic off there and you were going to burp or fart or whatever it is you do when you do that. I had to cough, Connie. Okay. Sorry. You got to get hot. I just thought when you were relieving yourself, I could talk, but if you're still going, I'll just be quiet until you're done. See, I tried to do it quickly so that there would be no interruption, but I obviously wasn't quick enough. But I think that the biggest thing that, that we have learned about this is that King Kong Bundy made his wrestling debut on my birthday. <laughs> in Let's talk about some other names who went through the monster factory who were trained by Larry Sharp, uh, the Godfather, Kevin Von Erich, uh, Virgil, Tatanka, JT Southern, Seamus, Rocco Rock, Raven, the Pitbulls, Balls Mahoney, the Headbangers, Chris Harris, uh, Sanjay Dutt, Chris Candido, D'Lo Brown, Tony Atlas, Big Show. And if I'm honest, I think the first guy I ever heard associated with Larry Sharp's school was Bam Bam Bigelow. And I do think it's kind of fun going back through history, how many big guys he helped break in, whether it was Big Show or it was Bam Bam or it was Balls Mahoney or King Kong Bundy. It's uh Larry Sharp knew how to pick some, uh, some miracle grow level dudes. That was the business at that time. If you were larger than life in a big giant sort, then the chances of making it in the business just based on your size was a lot more probable than it is today. Um, and Larry, Larry didn't train Kevin Von Erich, to my knowledge. Uh, Kevin Von Erich was trained in, in Dallas with his old man. Maybe, you know what, maybe Kevin did go up there for some finishing touches with Larry. And, and same thing with, with Tony Atlas. To my knowledge, Tony was trained with the Andersons and some other folks. Uh, but then again, he sure as hell could have been trained by Larry Sharp. Larry was one of those guys. Larry was a journeyman wrestler that found a niche in New Jersey and – was able, uh, Larry was the quintessential just showman. He was a super nice guy. Never, a lot of people didn't like Larry. A lot of people just felt Larry was full of shit. And Larry was always super, super duper nice to me. And it's like, okay, he had the reputation for taking people's money and doing shit. Well, if you had that reputation and you didn't like it, then don't do it. It's kind of simple. We should mention his debut match here. He works as uh, under the name, Chris Canyon. It's a house show loss to SD Jones in Baltimore. It's kind of fun though. Chris Canyon, somebody else from that area of the world is going to have a very similar name one day by 82. He's relocating to Texas. He's going to join world-class wrestling. And, uh, this is around the time the company was changing their branding from big time wrestling. And if there was a, a Von Eric family developed into big daddy Bundy after Shirley Crabtree's wrestler nickname, big daddy, big he would, daddy, he would start as a baby face with a full head of hair. Did you ever see Bundy with a full head of hair? It's hard for me to even imagine that. Yeah, I did. He looked like it, but it, I think that the, 
reason, at least, I don't know if it's the reason they did a, a head shaving deal with Bundy. But when you looked at Chris, he was, he looked like a, a just a kid, just like a, a big baby with the hair. And originally they, they brought him into Dallas as like a country boy. And he wore the overalls and shit. And he was going to fight with Fritz von Erich and David and Kevin von Erich. And by God, he was just a, a good old country boy <laughs> from New Jersey that came in. And he was part of the von Erich clan when he first came in. He's uh, going to be recruited by playboy Gary Hart and dramatically be reintroduced as King Kong Bundy with the big daddy portion of his moniker replaced by the name of a cinematic monster, King Kong. He's also going to be wearing the black singlet for the first time. And this is going to sort of signify this new character change. He loses his hair during the feud and that adds to his signature look and heel presence. How important do you think it was that Bundy go bald for his career? I mean, I know that sounds silly, but. I heard an old shoot interview with Bundy once, which was kind of funny where he was talking about how, you know, if you make your money as a body guy, it's a pain in the ass because when they see you 20 years later and you don't look quite like it used to, well, they feel like they're getting gypped. But when you're a big fat, bald slob and they see you 20 years later, still exactly as they remember. <laughs> <laughs> how true that is. See, it works. I've subscribed to that theory. The average interest rate on credit card debt is over 18% APR. Have you looked at your interest rate lately? You can refinance your high interest rate credit card balances and save with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. Rates start at 5.95% APR with auto pay and excellent credit. The rate is fixed, so it'll never go up over the life of the loan. Plus there are no fees. Get a loan from 5,000 to $100,000. You can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience. And that's exactly what they deliver. And I got to tell you, that has definitely been my experience. You've heard me talk about it forever. I had the easiest loan experience I've ever had at lightstream.com. Here's another testimonial for you. Heard a commercial checked into a consolidation loan. And just a few hours later had my approval and funds ready to be transferred. Awesome. And right now my listeners can save even more than an additional interest rate discount. Now, the only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash wrestle. That's L I G H T S T R E A M.com slash wrestle subject to credit approval rates range from 5.95% APR to 19.99% APR and include a half a percent auto pay discount. Lowest rate requires excellent credit terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash wrestle for more information. But the, uh, the whole bald look, it really set it off, man. They're going to have some major shows, of course, in world-class. The Fritz von Erich retirement show was a major event. Uh, it's at the Texas stadium on June 4th, 1982. And of course, as the name would indicate, the show marked Fritz von Erich's retirement from in-ring competition after probably 29 or 30 years. In the main event, Fritz von Erich is going to defeat King Kong Bundy to win the NWA American heavyweight championship. And of course, after the match, he would vacate it, but this is a big deal, you know, to be the chosen opponent by the promoter and the longtime baby face. You're the guy who helped retire Fritz von Eric. 
So he clearly had a lot of faith and confidence in Bundy, uh, a as an opponent and B as a draw for him. Obviously. So, and, and you know, Fritz always wanted to have the monsters to be Fritz was a lot like, you know, Hulk in a different way in that Hulk always had the big, mean, nasty monsters come out of him. Fritz in a lot of ways did the same thing. He liked to build big, nasty heels, uh, from the blackjacks, Lanza and Mulligan, Brody, big guys that could come into the territory as heels and Fritz could ultimately conquer them. After this little brief run in world-class, he's going to compete very briefly on some NWA cards. He's a key figure in the famous build for the Christmas night, 1982 flair carry cage match from union arena. Uh, later he went to the AWA where he used the name boom, boom Bundy. And it was because bruiser Brody couldn't be bruiser Brody out of, uh, you know, deferring to Dick, the bruiser. So he became King Kong Brody. Well, Chris can't exactly become another King Kong. So boom, boom, Brody. Uh, this is sort of, uh, I wish you'd, I wish you'd stay boom, boom, Bundy. Would that have been hilarious? Boom, boom. That's it. Listen, boom, boom. When we get down Tampa and you come on down to the, to the Fort Hesley Armory, if you will, it's going to be boom, boom out goes your life. When the dream American dream hits you with the bionic elbow and we get all funky like a monkey and you go boom, 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 Bundy. I like it. He goes up with something in mid South. I want to talk about when he gets to mid South, he's using a gimmick that would call where he would call for not a three count, but a five count. So instead of the referee counting one, two, three, he wanted the ref to count all the way to five showing that's how much he dominated his opponent. He attributed the idea to bill Watts, although I believe it was actually Jim Ross while working for Watts who came up with the idea and he would even cut promos explaining this saying. Basically, uh, when Bundy beats you, you know, you're defeated. And the five count, I think is something that big E even did down in NXT before he came to the main roster. This is a little thing, but a really cool innovation. what do you think of it? I loved it. Cause it made him different and Bundy was able to get over on that. It was the asshole heel that, okay, it wasn't enough for him to beat you for three count. He had to count to five. And it was bragging rights. It was unique and it was different. So it helped definitely attribute to Bundy getting over in Mid-South. Let's, uh, let's keep it moving here and talk about early 85. Bundy makes some appearances with New Japan Pro Wrestling and the World Wrestling Federation. Their co-promoted shows. He makes his official debut on March 16th, 1985 on championship wrestling, defeating Mario Mancini. Bundy was managed here by the mouth of the South. Jimmy Hart, at least at first Bundy had spent a little time in Memphis and the two knew each other from there. And he brings the five count gimmick with him and is mainly wrestling squash matches where he dominates his opponents. And, uh, once upon a time he's on TNT and Vince McMahon describes him as one of the most impressive athletes I've seen in my life. What a glowing endorsement. What do you think enamored, uh, Vince with Bundy? Was it just the size? Was it the five count, the name? What was it about his presentation that really got Vince's eye? If you had to guess. Nah, cause Bundy was fucking huge. Bundy was huge 
And Bundy could move for a big man of that time. Uh, he was able to get up and he was able to get off his ass and move. Uh, unless you ask Ernie Ladd, Bundy, Bundy, you're stealing money every time you go to the bank. You're stealing money, Bundy. And you're a big, fat, lazy son of a bitch. Um, but Bundy, for a big man, could actually move and could get off of his ass and, and really do some incredible things as a big man. So that's definitely what Vince saw in him, that all of a sudden, here's this guy. I don't know how tall Chris was. Chris was probably 6'6", 6'7", at least. Um, he was a he was a tall guy, and he was a big, wide. Like, he couldn't. Couldn't just walk into a regular door frame. He had to turn sideways, and even that was challenging at times because Chris was a big bastard. And Vince looked at this and, and saw that dome, um, but still he, he he looked at him and just thought, man, there's something missing. And he had uh, Bundy shave his eyebrows, which if you go back and you look, you'll see like a more menacing Bundy. And, and I think that it is – something to be said when you shave the eyebrows of a bald headed man like that, that it added a little bit of intimidation. It just made him look scarier. Made you had to, you had to look at him twice. Cause you don't notice right away that they're not there. No, you don't. Something you looks different. Something's not right. Yes. And of course he would have runs with eyebrows. So save your tweets. Just keep looking. You'll see the old stuff without it. And, uh, Boy, it stands out. His uh, finishing maneuver, the avalanche, which was also at different times called the body avalanche, is specifically described as a body press where the wrestler charges into an opponent in the ring corner without leaving their feet and crushes them into the turnbuckle. I guess the big difference between this and a stinger splash is Sting would jump into the corner. So basically, this is just Bunny uh, Bundy, easy for me to say, running you into the corner. And it feels like that should have been pretty safe, but I guess there's a bunch of stories of Bundy actually hurting people with this move. what did you hear of the body avalanche? Did this feel like a dangerous finish to you on the surface? It doesn't seem that way. No, it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty good. And if Bundy likes you, I'm sure you'd be fine. And mm. if he didn't, sometimes he probably took an extra step. Uh, before he stopped himself when he came into that corner. So it, it probably all just depended on Bundy and and what he thought of you. Well, I hope he thought highly of everyone that we know. Um, let's talk about WrestleMania 1 and Bundy's role for this historic event. He's remembered for winning the shortest match in WrestleMania history at the time. He mauled Special Delivery Jones in what was announced as only nine seconds at WrestleMania. I think the actual ring times or bell to bell was like 23 seconds, but either way, it tells quite you the story. You don't know when the official time started, Conrad. Don't be doing that Dave Meltzer bullshit when he thinks he fucking the contest should start. Okay. I was just going with the bell. That's my bad. That's probably not the start. You're right. Yeah, exactly. That's your bad. You know, the official ring time, depending upon what state you're in, could start when the two wrestlers actually touch for the first time. Okay. Got it. Didn't realize that. That was the case. Thanks for teaching us all that and sprinkling your knowledge on us. I just sprinkled all over you. And now you take out your little fucking comb. Now you comb in your face again and shit. Uh, let's talk about people. He has a goddamn comb like the the barber uses in the barbershop to comb your fucking head. And he's combing his face. A beard. 
As we speak, he's com- Conrad Thomas is po- combing his face. Thomason. Thomason. Yeah. So, do you think? Obviously, you're not there in this era in '85. You're watching WrestleMania I'm not one here from right afar. Now, but go ahead. No, I know. <laughs> I can tell those those edibles found their way to Connecticut. Chat me up. Did Vince already, do you think, have in mind? I mean, obviously, after the success of a WrestleMania one, he wants to come back and he wants to do it bigger. He wants to do it better. He wants to do it better. So instead of having one show in MSG, let's do a show in New York. Let's do a show in LA. Let's do it in Chicago. What's bigger than one WrestleMania? How about three of them, some bitches, in the top three markets in the United States at the same time? Do you think Bundy was in his early plans? all along as a, as a prime opponent for Hogan. You know, I don't really know. I think that probably kind of, as I got closer to it, looking for a big nasty heel for Hogan to slaughter that they got there with it. And at the time, even in wrestling circles, WrestleMania by number two, that was a big deal. And it was, it, it was even, the thought that he was going to do three locations, people thought this is ingenious. Oh my God, this is, this is great. Three times the houses. When in reality, um, all it was was three times the cost, right? <laughs> because you're, the audience you're playing to is a pay-per-view and a closed circuit, closed circuit, much more so then, but it was three times cost. Cause you had three times the production in New York, Chicago, and LA. And yes, you've got those three live event gates, but that doesn't compare to the cost and everyone, you know, back and forth and as many people that you had to spread out amongst three different locations when you could have had it in one and been just as profitable, if not more, because you wouldn't have the additional two production costs. But I think, you know, shit, looking at Bundy, I think you would look at him and go, that son of a bitch is a big, nasty heel. I'd want my champion to conquer. We've often heard about how crazy the the party scene was and wrestling in the eighties. And while Bundy's obviously right here in the middle of it, uh, at the hottest period in wrestling ever at this point, he's apparently not much of a partier. Hillbilly Jim said he was not very social on the night scene. He sort of just did his own thing. Was that the same impression you got of King Kong Bundy? Yes. Uh, Chris liked to do pretty much his own thing. We'd go back to his room, eat a pizza and go to bed. He wasn't a big, I don't know if if Bundy drank or not. He, I believe he did. Um, but I, I don't know that he ever really went out and partied with anybody. I certainly never did. So to say that I witnessed it, I can't say that I ever did one way or another. In September of 85, Jimmy Hart would trade King Kong Bundy to Bobby Heenan in exchange for Adrian Adonis and the missing link back in the eighties, manager trades are kind of a big deal in wrestling. They would trade or even sell wrestler contracts like Ted DiBiase. And, uh, this is just fun stuff. Do you miss this era of, Hey, we're trading. I mean, cause here's the thing I, as a little kid, I think we would make the correlation that, oh, this is like baseball cards. But as an adult, you're like, or more like a sports franchise, one team traded a player to another team. Why don't we see or hear that anymore? Do you think? I don't know. I think that people felt in some ways that 
it wasn't real. But you know, look at look at the facts. I mean, baseball copied wrestling and started doing trades, and then basketball and football <laughs> started doing trades after they saw how it was done in wrestling. So, uh, you know, you set the trend, and then after a while, you kind of outgrow it. You know, I'll be honest. I grew up on Bundy being managed by Bobby Heenan, so that's my preference. Did you have a preference with Heenan or Jimmy Hart with Bundy? I thought they were both great in their own way, but I think that in order to be serious and to be that guy to go with Hogan, it needed to be Bobby at that time. After joining the Heenan family, Bundy's going to feud pretty extensively with Andre the Giant. Uh, Bundy interferes in one of Andre's matches and delivers several splashes, giving the Giant a cafe broken sternum. And then on the September 23rd, 1985 Madison square garden show, Bundy would face Andre, the giant in a match that was billed the colossal jostle. Well, you guys were determined to work Just that fucking stop it with colossal. That's not true. That's actually what we call it. Whenever me and Silva go hit a buffet together, pre COVID. So I was going to say, yeah. Andre dominates the match. The match ends after big John stud comes in from the locker rooms to Bundy's aid and attacks the giant causing a DQ. There were other stories that Andre was notorious for liking or disliking rather other big man wrestlers. I think it's pretty legendary. His feud with, with big, big John stud behind the scenes and somehow Bundy managed to rub the boss the wrong way too. In an interview, King Kong Bundy said he always believed that Andre didn't like him over what Andre perceived to be disrespect after a match. Bundy claims after a match, he patted Andre on the back and joked he was ready for the garden and Andre didn't take that too well. And other stories have said that they thought Andre found Bundy to be arrogant. Chat me up about this. Did you see this Andre just being outright mean to other big guys just because he felt like maybe they were taking his shine away? I don't know. Andre did not have a fondness for other big guys that were in that giant category, let's say that. So Andre, I don't know if he's jealousy, just protecting himself, but there was, I can't think of too many big guys that, that Andre was really fond of. Don Leo Jonathan was definitely one of them that he allegedly was fond of and they got along well. There, there are others, but um, as far as Bundy being arrogant, I could see that perception. I don't believe that Chris was arrogant. I think that's just the Jersey in him and the way that Chris handled himself. He was a smart ass. Uh, Chris was always a smart ass and, and always had something to say, but I don't know him to ever really be too mean spirited. And he just was one of those wise ass Jersey guys. Hypothetically. If Andre didn't like you, what would you try to do to fix that? Do you think, uh, you could try bringing him a bottle of wine every day and just be nicer to him. I, 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 you know what? I mean, I really don't know, uh, because <laughs> if the boss didn't like you, then the boss didn't like you. And it would take an awful lot sometimes to get beyond that with, with me, you know, boss like Bruce, but he hated brother love. 
And that was a weird thing because I was brother love. <laughs> and he just didn't, he hated the character of brother love. And sometimes the boss would just become childlike in a way. The most hated jeweler in America is excited to introduce you to someone very special. She's beautiful, classy, and she's brilliant. She will dazzle you. People can't stop staring at her. Meet Krista. She's easy. Wait, what? Krista is Steven Singer's most loved engagement ring and takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, 100% eye flawless, near colorless, high quality, round, brilliant cut diamond, expertly set into a classic solitaire Tiffany setting that will withstand the test of time. Krista is available. She's ready for love and ready to meet you. Steven Singer isn't in the jewelry business. He's in the love business. This magnificent full one carat round, brilliant cut diamond is only 3198. Real jewelry doesn't have to be expensive. Plus free shipping and 12 months interest-free financing. Steven's showroom is open by appointment only or go now to IHateStevenSinger.com and click on the Krista ready for love engagement ring. Steven Singer jewelers, real jewelry, real experts for your real love. That's I hate Steven singer.com. The two clash on the October 3rd, 1985 Saturday night's main event. I think this is the second one. It aired two days later on NBC. It drew an 8.3 rating. Jesus. Andre, the giant and Tony Atlas would defeat King Kong Bundy and big John stud by DQ in four and a half minutes. Listen, you're still on the outside looking in when you see that Vince McMahon is not only taking this expansion national, he's even got NBC specials now that are doing huge ratings. Did you realize the writing was on the wall by 85 or did you still have some sort of hope that some of these territories would pull the nose up? Without a doubt, there was still hope and there was people watching Vince now, whereas initially it was, okay, he's running a couple of big shows. Well, Hey, so are we. And nobody was thinking about ratings really that much at that time. You know, yes, there were some of us, but you got to understand Houston doing uh, an eight would be a disappointment. Um, the numbers that wrestling did locally were huge in comparison. So that eight nationally magnificent number. And yes, they were great numbers in comparison to Saturday night live. That was in the time slot before that. So you had to take notice, but I don't know that there were that many people. Now we were beginning to, because Vince was, and Vince was going to different television stations saying, here's our Arbitron ratings. And this is what we're doing all across the country in other markets. So it, it became a big issue, but at the time it was just maybe Vince is going to be that national promotion and everybody else will continue to, to do things as they always have. The third Saturday night's main event goes down on Halloween and it airs on November 2nd, 1985. Hulk Hogan's going to team up with Andre, the giant to defeat King Kong Bundy and big John stud by DQ in eight minutes. That show draws a 6.3 rating at the fifth Saturday night's main event. Bundy wins a splash, a squash match in 43 seconds 
but this is his most memorable moment. Uh, this particular show when Hogan is wrestling Don Morocco, he's ambushed by Bundy and his manager, Bobby, the brain Heenan. And that sets up a feud with Hogan and Bundy. Hogan requires medical attention from the beating. And, uh, they even, uh, follow him to the hospital. They're interviewing doctors there at the hospital. They say the word hospital on WWE programming. It's pretty remarkable. And, and Hulk Hogan's WWE published autobiography. Hogan claimed he did in fact receive minor injuries from the incident because Bundy had hit him full force to make it look real. And because Morocco held his arms, Hogan couldn't protect himself. So as a result, he says all of his ribs popped in the same way. You might normally pop your knuckles with the pain causing Hogan to legitimately back out blackout. And he's diagnosed at the hospital with minor hairline fractures of the ribs. If you go back and, uh, watch the segment, Bundy does hit the avalanche three times, but the first time he does hit Hogan with such force that the ring post actually moves, but this is kind of fun. Oh, it cracked my ribs. Like it would your knuckles. I don't know why, but that tickled me. What do you make of this report? Well, you've never been squashed with goddamn avalanche by King Kong Bundy. Nope. I haven't. I'm asking well, you. Well, then by God, it would maybe pop your ribs too. I got protective karate fat. I I'm going to be okay. Pop my knuckles and nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's what would happen if you got your ribs popped too. They would not make that sound. Yes, they would. <sighs> King Kong Bundy did it. They would. Listen, this is, this is classic mid eighties stuff. Bundy's a fixture on these NBC, NBC shows. Do you think Ebersol was enamored with the look? He was just easy to do business with. Why did they go back to him so often here? Because Bundy was top heel and Bundy was the guy that could go out and perform every night and was larger than life. So if you want somebody to go out to promote that show, that's going to dwarf pretty much anyone that he stands next to King Kong Bundy's your guy. On Monday, April 7th, uh, one of the only WrestleManias until 2020, not to be held on a Sunday went down. It's WrestleMania two, New York, Chicago, and LA. Each location has its own card, but the overall main event of the entire show is Hogan defending his championship against King Kong Bundy in a salad steel cage. Kind of interesting to picture it this way, but it's Hulk versus King Kong in 1986. It feels like something from a movie or comic book, doesn't it? Just so far ahead of their time, by God, you know, when you look at it. But without a doubt, yeah, that was the old, old blue, big blue, uh, that horrible, non-forgiving blue cage that was designed so that Bruno and the Sheik could climb out of it easily. Hated that cage. In the match, of course, Hulk Hogan defeated Bundy in about 11 minutes. Meltzer gave it a star and a quarter. He says, uh, I wonder if they paid Hogan time and a half for going more than nine minutes. They used a Calgary cage flown in to allow Hulk to climb it without taxing his incredible athletic prowess. In fact, the crew set up the cage was also flown in from Calgary. They're the Hart family. Maybe that gives you an indication of the unnecessary spending they did for this show. Anyway, Bundy bled, but didn't do a good job of it either. The match was slow and piddling and in all pretty bad. But what can you expect from two overweight pachyderms from Titan sports? Hogan did power slam Bundy at the end star and a quarter. 
Critically, I think everybody looks to WrestleMania too, and it's almost like it's the forgotten WrestleMania. Everyone talks about the first one, of course, and then it feels like we just skip right to number three. Do you think Vince does that too? When he thinks back, is it just one that he like ah, failed experiment? I think that a portion of that is so, and it was probably a, a good idea at the time from the standpoint of this will be different. Well, it sure was different. Um, different doesn't always equal good, but trying something new. Yes, they did do that. They were able to emanate from three different locations, but a failed experiment. And it wasn't something that in hindsight, you look back at and say, wow, that was really an artistic masterpiece because it just wasn't. And you have to take into account those people that paid money in New York that now they get their show done. Now they've got to sit through Chicago and LA had to be brutal, had to be brutal. Later in 1986, Bundy would reform his tag team partnership with big John stud and start a feud with the machines, bill 80 and blackjack Mulligan wrestling under masks as super machine and big machine respectively. They were sometimes joined by Andre the giant as giant machine. And the storyline was that Bundy and stud along with Heenan claimed that the giant machine was a mask, Andre, the giant, and he's competing under the mask and an alias to circumvent an earlier stipulation, but no one was ever able to prove that Andre was the giant machine and they were one in the same. Eventually Bundy and stud began teaming up with Heenan in a series of six man tags against the machines. Usually it's big and super as Andre's health is continuing to deteriorate at this time. And, uh, occasionally they would slide somebody else in there like captain Lou or Hulk Hogan. They would all, you know, be a part of the machines and Bundy and stud were regularly beaten, but won their last match over the super big version of the machines at Madison square garden, this is a piece of history that for whatever reason. A certain section of fans are really fascinated with the idea that you've got Andre, the giant wearing a a machine mask. What can you tell us about the machines? Was this hokey? Did you like it for the time or was this too childlike for you? No, I always loved the idea of someone that was suspended or banned for whatever reason to be able to come back under a mask when it's obviously them and deny it. Uh, (laughs) to me, that was wrestling. That was the beauty of it all. So no one was ever able to prove that Andre was giant machine could have been a giant Japanese wrestler from Mount Fuji that came down from the mountain and donned a mask one day, hence giant machine. And whenever you're that big, I mean, it's usually smell and sound alike. Also in the latter half of 86 Bundy and stud received shots at the WWF tag titles against the bulldogs. Of course, they're unsuccessful, usually losing by disqualification, but big John stud winds up leaving the company not too terribly long after this. And, uh, Bundy goes back into singles competition. I'm sort of fascinated by the potential, the long-term potential of a King Kong Bundy, big John stud tag team. Do you think they could have become a strong tag combination? I mean, they were both top cards individually, them forming a tag team with a manager. I don't know. It feels like it could have worked. Absolutely. It could have worked because they were just so damn big and it conjures up images of how in the hell do you beat them? 
So I think if they had stayed together, the, without a doubt, they would have been tag team champions and probably for a while. I saw in a lot of my research, guys would, would, would say that Bundy had a reputation for being stiff, not only Hogan, but Hillbilly Jim and believe it or not on his much later run, uh, Duke, the dumpster Jose all said that Bundy could be a stiff performer. Is that something you heard before or not so much? Was it simply based on the old Andre rule of if he liked you, he wasn't, or what's the thing? I, yeah, I think it depended on the opponent pretty much. I got you. Saturday night's main event. Number 10 goes down on March 14th. Uh, King Kong Bundy would defeat Jake, the snake by DQ in six minutes and 14 seconds. And now it's time to talk about WrestleMania three. It's the biggest audience that Bundy would ever perform in front of. It was a huge deal and also a bit of a controversy towards the end of the bout. He delivers a legitimate, pretty stiff looking body slam to little beaver. And he followed that up with an elbow drop, which the, the little person sold, but little beaver's back was legitimately hurt. And this was his last match. I know you weren't there at the time, but this is what famous telegram, telephone, telewrestler. Did you hear the story of Bundy not taking care of little beaver? And was there any heat on him for the way this all went down? Uh, no, I, I, I really never did. And to the contrary, it was something that put Bundy kind of back on the map for squashing the little people in the match. And it was tremendous. And from the folks that were there, um, from the office to Beaver to Bundy, um, they all kind of pointed to it with, holy shit, you know, that was controversial. It wasn't that great. So I never, a few times I was around Beaver, uh, never, <laughs> never expressed anything of, of bitterness or anything towards that at all. To my knowledge. Just a few days after WrestleMania three, a new television show debuts on the Fox network. It's a show that, uh, you're probably familiar with married with children. The show, which ended up running for 11 season revolves around a main character named Al Bundy and his family, of course, the Bundy's. And that name was allegedly chosen in honor of King Kong Bundy. Apparently the producers of the show were big fans of his and even brought King Kong Bundy to appear on the show. Two separate occasions in season two, he played uncle Irwin, a friendly, but dimwitted man who constantly forgets things. He's admired by Bud, Al Bundy's son, who constantly asks his uncle if he would run his head into something. He promises he would only if Bud is good. Al eventually becomes fed up with Peggy's relatives and takes out a gun to kill him. And then it is revealed that the majority of the episode was just a dream. And after Al wakes up, Peggy reveals that her relatives are coming over with Irwin smashing the front door with his head to reveal that they have arrived. Fast forward to season 10. He played himself where he's in town to wrestle uh, captain ecology at Wrestlepalooza. He eventually defeats bud, which leaves him badly injured and missing a tooth. This is kind of fun. When we see mainstream television inspired by wrestling, it's happened a few times. You and I are big fans uh, of a show on showtime called billions. And of course, great friend of the show, Dan Soder's on that, but apparently the folks who put together that show are low-key wrestling fans. Chuck Rhodes is named after Dusty Rhodes, and we hear little mentions of Ric Flair, and we had Becky Lynch on a show, and 
They had an old hell in a cell poster on a show. And anytime you see Hollywood give a little nod to pro wrestling, it's got to make you feel good. Right, Bruce. Absolutely. And married with children was a great show. I, I just always loved it for what it was. And then hearing the stories after the fact, you kind of got bits and pieces of that through the way that Al Bundy was portrayed and seeing Chris on there was also kind of fun as well. It can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or running late to find yourself at a railway crossing, waiting for a train. And if the signals are going and the train's not even there yet, you may feel a bit tempted to try and sneak across the tracks. Well, don't ever to the naked eye trains often appear to be further away and moving slower than they are. And they can't stop quickly. Even if the engineer hits the emergency brake right away, it can take over a mile to stop over a mile to stop. By that time, it's too late, and the result is a potentially deadly crash. The point is, you can't know how quickly the train will arrive. The train can't stop quickly. Even if it sees you, it ends in disaster. If the signals are on, the train is on its way. And you just need to remember one thing. Stop. Trains can't. Let's, uh... Yeah. Paul, I, I don't know what else to say about Mary with children. I just thought it was cool when he showed up there and I was such a fan of that show. I should also mention there's another rumor in innuendo around this same time. I guess it's 87 Mike Tyson's punch out comes out for the original Nintendo. And a lot of folks think that the King hippo character is probably inspired by King Kong Bundy. Did you ever hear that or think that, that perhaps they did a little King Kong Bundy character in the Tyson game. Believe it or not, I actually know that character in the game. Not that I ever played the game, but I've seen bits and pieces of that game. And yes, it's kind of similar to Bundy, but I think that that is also one of those, the stereotypical bad guy. And you go all the way back, not that Daddy Warbucks was a bad guy, but you look back at a lot of the traditional heels in movies are big bald guys. So Bundy fit that role tremendously and Tyson being a big fan, I wouldn't be surprised if he helped design that to look like King Kong Bundy. The 87, that's right. 87 King of the ring happened on September 4th. Bundy makes it to the finals of that King of the ring tournament. He defeated one man gang ST Jones and received a bye. He got into the finals and ultimately is defeated by the macho man, Randy Savage. The old King of the Ring concept, this is way before it's pay-per-view. This is just a, a big house show attraction, right? That's what it was. I think that the first one uh, may have been in St. Louis or in Rhode Island, one of the two. But just a house show deal to be able to have a one-night tournament for a special event. Saturday night's main event number 12, I think would be your first major event uh, with Bundy. I might have that wrong. Does that sound right? WrestleMania, not WrestleMania, but the uh, September 23rd in Hershey, Pennsylvania, Saturday night's main event. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of things about that, that, uh, that I remember. I definitely remember, uh, Hershey PA that Saturday night's main event. I remember that was the, I believe the first TV where they instituted this only lasted for maybe two or three TVs. But in a cost-cutting measure, everyone had to uh, double up and room with someone. So it had to be two people to a room. And uh, Joel Watts and I were 
roommates this particular show. But Hershey, you would have the meeting for Saturday night's main event the night before at the Hershey Hotel. And just the the different shit that you could get at the Hershey Hotel. You get a chocolate omelet. So they would make you an omelet and like how where they put cheese in the omelet and fold it over. They would put a Hershey bar and then fold it over and you'd have a chocolate omelet. Everything that you could do with a with a uh, Hershey chocolate bar, they did. And that was my first time in Hershey, Pennsylvania. So it's one of those things that's just kind of remembered. I like chocolate. The show is a huge success. It airs on October 3rd, 1987. So about 10 days later, it does a 9.7 rating, which is just unbelievable. But on the show, we would see Bundy with Andre in his corner defeat Paul Orndorff managed by Oliver Humperdinck in eight minutes. He's going to be a big part of the inaugural survivor series event in 87. Uh, he's in the main event on Andre's team, along with one man gang, Butch Reed and Rick Rude. They're going to face and defeat Hulk Hogan's team, which includes Paul Orndorff, Don Morocco, Ken Patera, and Bam Bam Bigelow. Hogan's eliminated after he slammed gang and Bundy on the outside, but then he's counted out and Hogan does a legitimate body slam on Bundy here on the floor, which is impressive. And, um, Bundy would be eliminated by Bigelow who hit the move he was using at the time, a slingshot splash into the ring. It's pretty crazy to even think about Hogan losing in this era, but I guess the idea is you got to give Andre the, the win back from WrestleMania three, right? I'm pro survivor. Yes. Uh, the November 28th, 87 Saturday night's main event. We got King Kong Bundy headlined against Hulk Hogan for the WWE title. But as a surprise, Andre is in Bundy's corner, but he's ejected after interfering by grabbing Hogan's leg. How about this? Bundy wins the match. That's by count out because the brain is holding Hogan's leg when he's trying to climb back in, but still kind of a cool deal getting a win on Saturday night's main event and his streak of, of prime roles on Saturday night main event continues when you come into the company, you know, I know that the legend would have it that somewhere somebody made a list. Here's our top baby faces. Here's our top heels. Where was Bundy in the hierarchy when you come in in April and may of 87, I think Bundy was definitely a top top guy and top heel. And that's why when you talk about WrestleMania three and the spot with little beaver and those guys, that that was something that put so much heat on Bundy from a national exposure. And it was also something that the general media picked up as well. Oh my God, this huge monster of a man slamming little beaver and then dropping an elbow on him that that just bolstered Bundy's appeal in general. Let's, uh, let's talk about a little bit of a controversy here during 87, uh, Bundy would claim later in shoot interviews, he wasn't being paid very well, especially compared to what he thought he deserved. He winds up taking a job with a Dutch computer company to do an ad for head start computers. He said he thought it was an overseas ad and that no one would see it. But it turns out it aired all over the United States. And he said, when Vince saw it, he flipped and he was very angry and Bundy felt like he had committed career suicide. And he said, after the ad aired, McMahon treated him differently. 
I remember seeing the ad for this computer in magazines and whatnot. Um, do you remember this conversation? Was this something you would have talked about with either Bundy or Vince? I, I remember the time frame, and it was something that uh, Bundy did without permission. And it was during a time that the company was doing a lot of this sort of thing. And the fact that Bundy had gone out and done it on his own was not something that you did in those times. So it was, it was not good. Put it that way. I mean, do you think it slowed down any, you know, I hate to use a wrestling phrase here. Cause I know it's overused a lot and thrown around a lot, but did this hurt his quote unquote push with Vince? Did Vince think, okay, I can't trust this guy. He's wrong to me. I think that more than anything that it was during a time that Bundy kind of felt that he wasn't being utilized and that he was looking for other things to do. Hence, you know, going out on his own and, and doing the ad. So I think it was more mutual and more Bundy acting out from the standpoint of, well, I don't, I don't feel that I'm being used right. So, uh, I'm not going to put as much effort into it. And Chris was getting a little grumpy during this time. Saturday night's main event, January 2nd, 1988. It's headlined by Bundy versus Hogan. Once again, for the WWE championship, Bundy mania is challenging Hulkamania. I think Hogan called it Bundamania, but there's a special stipulation here. Andre, the giant was officially in the corner of Bundy for the match in place of Bobby, the brain. Now Hulk beat Bundy with a leg drop and then his famous 69 pin. And then Andre attacked him and chokes him while half of the babyface locker room fails to pull him off. This of course is the setup for the Hogan Andre rematch at the main event, which is what causes the bell ultimately to be vacated at WrestleMania four. And unfortunately, this is the last time Bundy appeared on Saturday night's main event. I can't help, but wonder since he's been such a staple of this show and this company for so long. Do you think the whole doing the computer ad thing was the beginning of the end for Bundy here? I just think it was a combination of everything of Bundy, you know, kind of feeling that he wasn't being utilized in the fact that he had been on top for as long as he had been on top, that it was time to tell new stories and just give Bundy a rest at this point. Now you keep saying, I thought Bundy felt, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out, do you think well, Vince when had, I say that is because Bundy was being a little grumpy during this time and Bundy, you. you know, it's funny when you're on top and someone else is complaining and fe- feeling underutilized, it's like, oh, they're just bitter. Um, but then all of a sudden when it's your turn to either go on the shelf or take some time away, it's like, oh, God damn, they're not using me right. So it, it's Bundy was being vocal during this time feeling that he should have just remained on top the entire time. All right, fellows. If you know, there's one debate that Bruce and I still have to this day. It's about who was the official dog of something to wrestle. Now, foolishly, he thinks that it's all about his dog, Roger. And I think he's got one named Rowdy. What? That's silly. What he needs to know and acknowledge is that Ginger and Baby are the official dogs, the official tag team champions of the canine side of things for something to wrestle. Something Bruce and I definitely agree on is that we love our dogs. 
And if you're listening to this and you're a pet owner, you know what we're talking about. It's just hard to put into words how important these little dogs become and they become a part of our family. Here's something you may not know though. Up to 80% of the immune system is influenced by the gut. And supporting the immune system through proper diet and digestive health is going to enable pets better fight environmental allergies. Solid Gold is passionate about gut health because a healthy digestive system positively impacts the immune system and overall wellness of pets. Solid Gold, by the way, is the first holistic pet company in America, founded way back in 74 by Sissy McGill. She's a pioneer and a trailblazer. She disrupted a male-dominated industry and created a natural pet food way before it was cool. She was inspired by the European pet food and the idea that European Great Danes lived longer than their American counterparts. So her first recipe has now provided high-quality nutrition and digestive health for over 20 generations of dogs. Now, Solid Gold's nutritional platform is inspired by their founding belief that high-quality food is the best way to impact your pet's mind, body, and spirit. Now, for over 45 years, Solid Gold has revolutionized this holistic pet food category. They have a recipe for any dog or cat's dietary needs, including healthy whole grain and grain-free options, wet food, and of course, supplements like sea meal and 100% human grade bone broth. And by the way, Bruce's dogs go banana whenever they hear the cap on the bone broth come off. They know, oh, it's time for the best meal of our life. Solid gold foods are different because they cleanse the digestive system with whole superfoods. They're going to balance with living probiotics and they're going to fuel with omega-3 and 6 fatty acids all supporting gut health and nourishing your pet inside and out. Right now, you can save 30% on select Solid Gold products when you go to solidgoldpet.com slash wrestle. That's solidgoldpet.com slash wrestle to save 30% on select Solid Gold products. Remember, solidgoldpet.com slash wrestle. Do you think Vince thought the character had run its course too? He had squeezed all, all he could out of it and it was time for a break? No, I think it was more uh, as far as a break. Yes. Put them on the shelf. I don't think that you got everything out of the character that you could, but it was one of those situations. Um, the character definitely needed a break as did the human being. It's pretty remarkable. He, he's no longer going to appear on the syndicated shows for the company. He is going to continue to wrestle house shows in early 88, usually losing to bam, bam, Bigelow, another Larry sharp guy. His last match during this initial WWF run that was televised is uh, the MSG show in February of 88, where he would team up with one man gang and a loss to Don Morocco and the ultimate warrior. And after leaving the company in 88, he almost goes into semi-retirement. He only wrestles a handful of matches. And since he was gone from the company, there's nothing stopping Bundy from doing more ads for Head Start computers. So he continues to do that through both 88 and 89. Also in 88, he appeared in the Richard Pryor film moving as a Gorgo, part of a trio of ex-cons who were uh, careless movers, moving the Pryor family around. This is, um, I don't know, an interesting path to say the least, which is why I originally wanted to cover Bundy because it's rare that you go from main eventing a WrestleMania and then you're in a big attraction match the next year for sure. But you're all over the primetime specials on broadcast television and it feels like one misstep or maybe it's just burnout. But not only is he done with the promotion, 
he sort of takes like a leave of absence from wrestling. And that's not something you heard about, especially in this era. Was it shocking to you that that's the way it went down? No, because you look at, you look at kind of the trend of some that was going on and Robbie Piper before him doing the same thing. Robbie took a sabbatical from wrestling to go and do they live. He wanted to go and be in movies. Jesse Ventura had made that move as well. So there was some guys and and especially the guys that were on top. And I'm sure from Chris's point of view, he's looking at this as, Hey man, Hollywood's calling. They need, you know, big giant heel characters. There aren't that many 400 pound bald guys walking around that look like King Kong Bundy and that are his size. Let's take a shot at Hollywood. And there were people out there filling his head full of all that, you know, go, Go make your money elsewhere. Uh, Go to Hollywood. Go do movies. Go do TV shows. uh, Get your name out there. So Bundy's looking at this saying, well, shit, maybe I don't need to take bumps anymore. I can go and do the Hollywood gig and maybe make the same amount of money, maybe more, maybe less. Who who really knows? But let's give it a shot. And it's not going to have the same wear and tear on my body. He pops back up and, and I guess his most notable Andy was the ECW November to remember show. It's the very first one from November 13th, 1993 at the arena in Philly. The main event of that show was what was just, what was described as a winner takes all tag match. So we've got their champ Sabu teaming with road warrior Hawk to take on Terry Funk. Who's the TV champ and a mystery partner and whoever wins gets both belts. Well, wouldn't you know it? Terry Funk's mystery partner winds up being King Kong Bundy who turns on Funk during the match, hits him with an avalanche and that allowed Sabu to pin Funk. And so now he's got both of the belts. It's Bundy's only appearance in ECW. We're fresh off of the Joel Goodhart era where he was running super shows. Now we're trying some things with Todd Gordon. And of course, Eddie Gilbert's going to come in and eventually Paul Heyman. Were you surprised to see Bundy making sort of super indie shots like this after a long absence? Not really, because you kind of figure that they're all going to eventually turn up somewhere and Bundy being from New Jersey, it's close to home. Didn't surprise me at all. It's, it's just, that's what the independents were doing. They were looking for big names that had been on a national circuit that they could bring in and use Bundy fit that bill for sure. I know you weren't there, but hypothetically, when Terry Funk sees his mystery partner turn on him, what do you think he said to him? Your mother's a whore, a bald-headed, no eyebrowed whore. Uh, we also see uh, a couple more independents, uh, including him teaming with Papa Shango in New Jersey, just keeping it kind of local. But he does come back to the WWF in the fall of '94. And, uh, I think it happens on August 20th at Connor's ice rink in Stamford. Boy, this is not the WWF. He left. Is it? We're running shows in an ice rink. I was at that show, um, with Chris and we started talking about, uh, just different vignettes and some different things that we could do. And it was the first time I had seen Chris obviously since he had left. So it was uh, a nice reminiscing, and he came in in really good spirits, as a matter of fact. I think that he had, prior to this, had hit the stand-up 
comedy circuit a little bit. Not not going around the country, but he had done a few stand-up comedy routines. And I just I remember laughing my ass off, and I gave him a ride that night uh, back to the hotel. And it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, you don't really realize how big someone is until they're sitting in a, in your Eagle Talon, and they're 400 pounds. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, dude. Um, big man, big, big man. I love you had an Eagle Talon. Love my little Eagle Talon. I don't know why, but that tickles me that that was the Bruce Pritchard mobile. Let's, um, let's talk about when he comes back, because you did mention some vignettes. October 1st, those vignettes start airing. They're promoting the return of King Kong Bundy to the World Wrestling Federation. We're going to see him portrayed as a King Kong-like giant walking through the streets of New York, climbing the Empire State Building, swatting airplanes. There's another vignette, which is pretty creative. It's an event center style segment with the announcer talking about his return, but you hear huge footsteps. And then Bundy picks up the set with his hand, zooming out to him, holding a miniature and roaring. I assume these are all your skits. This is up your alley. Yeah. I mean, I, I laid them out. I, I don't even remember if I shot them. I believe I did. I shot them all on the, the blue screen in there. So it was, um, yeah, they were fun. It was King Kong. So make him King Kong, make him larger than life and make him the giant that people want to perceive him and, and portray him as. Bundy returns as a member of Ted DiBiase stable, the million dollar corporation Ooh. on October 8th. From there, he's going to pick up wins and mostly squash style matches until mid November. One of those squashes is against a very young Jeff Hardy on an episode of action zone. Uh, and then he's going to start working a, a series of matches against WWE champion, Bret Hart that November, of course, in a losing effort, but he once again has a successful pay-per-view match at survivor series. He and fellow million dollar team stablemate, uh, Bam Bam Bigelow survive a match against Lex Luger's guts and glory team. So here's a little fun piece of trivia. Bundy defeated both the real American Hulk Hogan and American made Lex Luger at different survivor series events. You have to feel, and he has to feel pretty good about his position here. You're coming in, working with the champ, being positioned on pay-per-views against top baby faces. He's got to like this spot he's in, right? Ah, you're still stealing money, Bundy. Every time you get into the ring and you take a promoter's paycheck, you're stealing money. I'm Talk. sure he did. I'm sure. He, but, but, you know, it was, it was weird because you had uh, Bundy and Bigelow at the same time, two big guys, part of DiBiase's group, throw into that, uh, the Godfather, who was Kama Mustafa at the time. And, and it was some big, thick brutes. Um, a little hard to stand out in that group. Yeah. Let's talk about how he comes back though. Is Vince, you know, this is the era 1994 where business is down. No doubt about it. I mean, we're running shows and fucking skating rinks. Are, are we, are we looking for our next big hit? That's the phrase we heard from Lisa Wolf that you've attributed here on something to wrestle. Does he just go back to what he knows? Why not give Bundy a try? Or does Bundy call and say, Hey man, why don't we get the band back together? I'd work some shots. Who reaches out to who? How does that come to, to life where he's back here? I believe Bundy had reached out to us and was, you know, looking to see if there was something available. And 
it was during a time that, yeah, it was. We were looking for some big guys, names that the audiences could identify with. And Bundy had been a huge star in the past, so why not give it a shot? It just feels like he's positioned pretty nicely here, you know, working with Brett, working with Lex. And then on November 28th in Poughkeepsie, it's a Monday night raw taping and diesel beats Bundy in 15 seconds with a boot to the face. Is this more about, we want to cement that diesel is the top guy that he is our, our, our hero, our giant baby face hero. Cause a 15 second loss on TV. That's uh that's not normally what you do with your top heel. Who's been working with your champ around the loop. Well, I don't know that that Bundy was really being positioned as the top heel either there. And this was an opportunity to really get diesel over as well. And that's exactly what it was positioned as. This was something to get diesel over. Towards the end of 94 and the beginning of 95, Bundy starts working angles where he's attacking the undertaker at live events. At the 95 rumble undertaker pins IRS. And after the bout, the Druids attack the undertaker, but she quickly fights off before King Kong Bundy comes to the ring. And moments later with Tacker taker distracted by Bundy, IRS attacks Paul bear from behind and steals the urn. Bundy then assaults taker with a series of elbow drops and splashes. And later that night, Bundy was billed a favorite in the rumble match itself, but lasted only three minutes being eliminated by another big man, Mabel. Chat me up about how we're going to set up this feud, which is ultimately going to culminate at WrestleMania. Is it just simply a situation where the million dollar corporation is feuding with the undertaker and Bundy is the latest challenger, or did you see more to it than that? Bundy undertaker. Well, Undertaker's still trying to figure out what the hell he did wrong for this one too. Um, it's, it's another on that list of things I will never forgive, forgive you for Bruce. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it was really, the issue was with the million dollar man and the million dollar corporation. It was taking all of those guys and with the star power of DiBiase to hopefully that's enough with undertaker to, to tell those stories because it, oh boy, it's a little brutal to say the least. Ding dong. Look who's hard. Bruce is so hard, so very hard. Ding dong, his boner's not dead. Yeah, BlueChew.com is sponsoring the show again. And I'm trying to find creative ways to get your attention, all right? Because we've been talking about BlueChew for a long, long time. And I'm wondering, what the hell are you waiting for? Go to BlueChew.com right now and use promo code WRESTLE. Let's see how hard we can get your ding dong, all right? I know what you're thinking. Well, I don't need this, man. Yes, you do. This is not just for guys who have performance issues. This is not just for guys who have erectile dysfunction. This is for guys who want an edge. This is for guys who want to put on a show. This is for guys who are looking for a five-star rating. And no, you don't have to go to the Tokyo Dome. You have to go to bluechew.com and use promo code WRESTLE. It really is that simple. Here's what all the fuss is about. This has the same active ingredient that you know from Viagra and Cialis, except this is the world's first chewable. And chewables can work faster. And these chewables can be taken on a full or an empty stomach. Not only that, these are better than the other two. And here's why they're cheaper. You get to skip the in-person doctor's visit. Instead, you go to bluechew.com. You'll work with one of their affiliated physicians to help find the right active ingredient and dosage for you and your body. 
And if you qualify, you'll get prescribed online very quickly. It's going to show up to your door in discreet packaging. So that means you get to skip running down to the pharmacy and saying, uh, hey, uh, I'm here. Uh, you don't have to do that. Instead, it just shows up to your door. And when you get it, boom, it's time to enjoy. By the way, Blue Chew's made right here in the red, white, and blue, the US of A. We're so proud of that. And we're so proud that you're finally going to know what all the fuss is about. This is can't miss. I cannot tell you how many of my friends and how many of the folks I know in wrestling are all about Blue Chew, and it all started because they heard it on this podcast. And yes, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. And if you're looking for something we could all use a little more of right now, not just sex, but great sex, let's get that extra confidence that we need. Let's increase our performance. Let's go to bluechew.com. Blue, like the color blue. And one more time, Blue Chew's made in the USA. It's prescribed online by licensed physicians. You don't have to go to the doctor. You don't have to wait in line. It's cheaper than a pharmacy. They prepare and ship it right to you. It's in a discreet package. There's no awkwardness. You don't need to leave the house. What are you waiting for? Right now, we've got a special deal for you. Visit bluechew.com. Get your first shipment for free when you use our promo code WRESTLE. You'll just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W, bluechew.com. The promo code is WRESTLE, and you can try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast and our hard-ons. And remember, when you support our shows, you make this podcast possible. So please be sure to use the promo code WRESTLE at bluechew.com. Let's get your ding-dong on the gas. Let's talk about why that is. The match was voted on by the readers of The Observer, and it's overwhelmingly the worst match on the card. Meltzer hated it. And he gave it a half star. He told a fine enough story. I suppose early in the match, Taker regains possession of the urn from DiBiase. He gives it to bearer, but then comma comes ringside and re-steals it and uh, tells Jim Ross in an interview, he's going to melt it down and turn it into a gold chain. So this whole, you know, million dollar corporation undertaker feud continues, but now it's comma's turn. But why didn't the match work? I mean, we've seen Bundy have passable matches. So many reasons just two big guys and it shouldn't tap me up no chemistry and then out of the blue we put the fucking uh uh jj dylan and jr's buddy the the umpire uh, in is the referee for this match with no story no reason other than he was a baseball umpire that they thought would be cool to have him a part of this wrestlemania match and Ah, just Larry young is who you're trying to say. Yeah. Nice. It's a great guy, by the way, super fucking nice guy, but he didn't belong in the ring. And, and he was, um, I say he's a great guy (laughs) until that day. I wanted to strangle him because he wanted to get his shit in. It's like, what shit do you have to get in? Well, I got to do my umpire stuff. So I want somebody to chest bump me and I'll bump them and, and I'll do this. And, and Taker told him, he goes, you so help me God. You try to ch- chest bump me, I'll knock you out. I think he tried to do it with Bundy. Um, it was horrible, but it, it, it took away everything. Bundy and Taker didn't have chemistry and not, yeah, not one of our best ideas. Later in the night, Bundy would again appear in the main event of a WrestleMania. This side is outside the ring and bam, bam, Bigelow's corner. Of course, Bundy is here to support 
the million dollar team against uh, Lawrence Taylor's all pro team. His next big match though, is against Shawn Michaels and the King of the ring qualifying match on May 22nd. It's Monday night. Raw Sean pins Bundy with a super kick about eight minutes in. And he's doing a lot of jobs in June, uh, for Adam bomb on the house show loop. Uh, he appears on the July 23rd show as a lumberjack for in your house on superstars on September 2nd, he's going to hold Henry Godwin while DiBiase prepares to slop him. Of course, instead Godwin moves and Bundy is slopped at this point. It feels like we're sort of out of ideas for King Kong Bundy. Has it just run its course? We tried it and the WrestleMania match just cemented that man, there's no meat left on the bone here. Well, we tried it in 1994 when Chris's best years were, you know, 85 to 87. Um, Chris was not in the, in the shape. One of the reasons that Chris got over was because he was a big man that could move and a big man that could work and, and was very agile. We didn't get that agile big man that could move in 1994. And I think that Chris had slowed down quite a bit. Chris had been afflicted with, uh, Bell's palsy which also I think really affected Chris's psyche as well. And that was something that, you know, he wanted to work through and, and continue to do continue to work. But I think that it just, that took a toll on him as well, but it wasn't the same King Kong Bundy from 10 years earlier. It's just, uh, that's coming to an end here. His last TV match is a, 20 man battle Royal on the October 23rd, Monday night, raw His last TV appearance is on superstars. It's a taping that happens on October 24th, uh, but is, uh, not going to air until November 4th. He's in the corner of psycho Sid here. His last match with the promotion is October 29th at a live show teaming with comma and a losing effort against the smoking guns. Can you tell us about the decision for you guys to part ways? Is it his idea, your idea, combination of both combination of both? It wasn't working and Chris was unhappy. And I don't think that we really had any more for him. We had a lot of big guys and we had a lot of big, big guys that were younger and that could move and that wanted to work. Chris, I think wanted to come in and be King Kong Bundy, the top guy all over again. And that was 10 years removed where he needed to earn that spot again, if he were going to achieve it. So it was a combination of this isn't working out and Chris not being real happy, not wanting to say. Let's, um, let's mention that he's pretty vocal in this era. He would do a ton of shoot interviews and whatnot. And he said, having guys like Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart as champions ruined the WWF. Cause they were too small overall. He just didn't have a good experience here. What do you think went wrong? Is it just his style of working? Just, you know, it was passe. It was old hat. Time is not your friend. Bundy time is not your friend. You need to grow your eyelashes back. Put that hair back on your head and get out of the business and stop stealing. Try robbing a bank instead. So you've done that voice. The entire time. I think our longtime listeners get what it is, but do you want to tell the full story to give some context to your impression here? Oh, it's just, it's Ernie Ladd reflecting on King Kong Bundy. And every time that Ernie would see Bundy, he would look at Bundy and Bundy, 
Monday, you're sitting there like a big fat turd on a lump of log. And you're stealing money, Bundy. Every time you go to the bank and you cash a check, you're stealing money, Bundy. And Ernie wasn't too too fond of King Kong Bundy. <laughs> Didn't have a high regard for him. So that's what that is. Where did that come from? The big cat, Ernie Lad, get on the phone and call somebody. Let them know the big cat, Ernie Lad, is coming to town. When did you hear Ernie Lad say that or do that? Oh, God. I heard it several times in mid South. It was just something that Ernie would often go back to just because it, it was funny. That was use that in the same conversation in which he was telling Bill Watts about, you know, why Vince McMahon is a genius because they got Volkov and the Sheik. They're real bill. They're real. You got a real Iranian and a real Russian side note, even though he wasn't actually Russian. And then you got guys and Vince McMahon is a genius. The man is a genius. I tell you, he fired my ass. The man is a genius. And I just burst out laughing so fucking hard. We were sitting in Bill Watts office on a little side desk he had there in Bixby, Oklahoma. And I'm just laughing so fucking hard going, uh, Vince is a genius because he fired your ass? <laughs> or he realized what he said. Listen to my pitching. But anyway, it was, uh, yeah, Ernie, Ernie quoted that an awful lot. You're stealing money, Bundy. Talk to me a little bit about when you first met Bundy. I mean, I, I'm sure you worked with him in some of the territories. Did you just see him with when you were with Watts or did you uh, also work with him some in the Bosch territory? Oh, I worked with Chris when he came through with Watts uh, in Mid-South in Houston. And that was the first time that I met him and then came around when he was up in New York and I came back up there and we had, I got to know him a little bit better, but he was, he was the same guy. It was, he was just Chris Paley's and, and he was, um, he just was, he just was a pretty normal guy from Jersey, always super nice to me and always super cordial and friendly. Did you ever hear about the controversy about whether or not he was, or wasn't a good tipper? <laughs> I have no idea. Bundy's going to stay active. Uh, even though he's not with the company here, he even appears in an episode of weird science, the TV show as himself. You mentioned earlier, he had a, a bit of a stint in stand-up comedy. Did you ever see any of his stage shows? I did. And I thought he was funny as shit, uh, because he was self-deprecating and, and he had great timing and a very good comedic presence. Uh, and, and he was just a, he was a funny guy. Bundy was a smart ass, funny guy. He wrestles all over the place for the next 10 years on independence. Doink the clown, Tom Brandy. Uh, Jimmy Snuka, on and on. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I think he uh, officially retires in May of 2007. And his name pops up again when he's a part of the class action concussion lawsuit against WWE, which is ultimately thrown out of court. And unfortunately, we lost him just last year, March 4th, 2019. He passed away at the age of 63 from complications from diabetes. He'd been fairly active on Twitter and, uh, including up until right until he died. Um, the company acknowledged that Bundy had passed away on a, with a graphic on TV, but there was no video package or anything like that. New Japan did a 10 bell salute to Bundy in the uh, ring prior to their anniversary show. 
And I saw in my research, he was a cat person. When he passed away, he had 10 cats that a local animal shelter had to rehome. And, um, I don't know, man. It's, it's fun to go back and do these deep dives on guys and learn a little bit about them. What can you tell us, you know, about the man behind the character, Chris, that, that we may not already know or have covered here today. Well, again, to me, he was just a super nice guy that achieved stardom at an early age. Think about it. He debuted in 1981 and then in 1985, he's headlining WrestleMania, um, or 1986. He's headlining WrestleMania. So that's, man, that's a, he's 30 years old, 30. He's, he's on top. 30 he's on top, but after only being in the business for five years. Right. So that's, that's a lot to fuck with your head and it's an awful lot. And to me, I don't know that the human being ever really changed as far as how he looked at life and how he, uh, went about it on a daily basis. Could he get crabby and, and bitching and moaning? Yes, he could. We all can. But I think that he was genuinely a pretty good guy. I always got along with him pretty damn good. And he was, when you look at, at people, and I would go to conventions from time to time, you know, and do autograph uh, deals. And there were always a handful of people that no matter what, I always had to find my way over to say hello. And, you know, uh, Jim Duggan's anywhere on the floor. I've got to go say hi to Jim. Um Bundy was one of those guys that I always had to make my way over Ron Simmons and Teddy long and, and people like that, that you, I don't care what I'm doing. I've got to go say hello. And Chris Bundy was one of those guys that, that I put up there that I always had to go over and, and say hi to and get a laugh out of and a big hug. Just was a friendly guy. Let's uh, let's do some questions here, by the way, I guess it's worth mentioning. Um, he's not in the hall of fame. And he's one of only, I guess, two guys who headlined uh, a WrestleMania, the first 10 WrestleManias, who's not in the Hall of Fame. I think Sid is the other. You think Bundy belongs in the WWE Hall of Fame one day? I do. And I think Bundy will be in the Hall of Fame one day. It's just a matter of time. But I do, I do think that Bundy will be uh, recognized in the Hall of Fame one day. I mean, it's also worth mentioning you know, sometimes when we have discussions like that, we have to be realistic, at least in my opinion, you can't be in an active lawsuit against the company. And then they're going to give you stage time and honor you. Like we got to get all that figured out. I would have liked to have seen him go in before we lost him, but it didn't happen. ABC 171 wants to know, uh, Mick Foley said he dropped Manson from cactus Jack because of the Charles Manson, uh, correlation. Any worries that Bundy would make people think of Ted Bundy? The killer? Well, I mean, I think that's a natural assumption that if you're a bad guy. Um, no, I, I really don't. You never drew that correlation until just now? Never, ever, ever. Okay. But when, when it was Cactus Jack Manson, did you immediately think of Charles Manson? Well, the difference is, is that Jack looked like okay. Charles Manson. King Kong Bundy doesn't look anything like Ted Bundy. It'd be the last person I would think of. He could have eaten Ted Bundy. Maybe, um, it is worth mentioning. I think Ted Bundy, I think he was 
like put to death in 89. So that would have happened around the same time. Um, lots of questions about this in the early to mid two thousands. There always seemed to be an influx of old legends coming in for one-off matches or segments. Was it ever discussed in that era to bring in Bundy for a match or segment that you can think of that comes to us from the WrestleManiac? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Bundy's name was, was mentioned. And I, from the last dealings that, that I had with Chris and when I saw Chris was, he wasn't really that interested in, in doing much of anything in the wrestling business anymore. So I think even if they had reached out, I don't know that he would have been receptive to that. Pete wants to know, did Bundy have any major heat backstage with anyone on the roster? The rumor and innuendo was, uh, he was not easy to get along with. I guess another way to ask that would be, do you know of him having heat with anyone besides Andre? Oof. I, I really don't. Um, he may have, but not to my knowledge. And, and again, it, it wasn't something that was overt. Maybe people didn't like him for whatever reason, but I don't know of anybody that loudly proclaimed, ah, I can't stand the fucking King Kong Bundy. You don't want him around here. We got lots of feedback that they felt like Bundy was perhaps Hogan's worst big marquee match from the era. Mike wants to know. What do you think Hogan thought of working with Bundy? It's been said a few times that his offense looked like crap, but hurt like hell. <laughs> uh, I think that, that Hogan liked it is the, you know, the WrestleMania program that it was from the standpoint of, it was a gigantic monster that seemed unkillable that Hogan could conquer. So to that, I, I think that it did work and uh, I don't know that it was Hogan's favorite opponent, but it certainly wasn't his least favorite. Pinder J wants to know who was undertaker's least favorite WrestleMania opponent, giant Gonzalez, King Kong Bundy or Mabel. He didn't wrestle oh, Mabel God, or giant Gonzalez without a doubt. Yeah. J here's a big one. Jason wants to know, I've heard King Kong Bundy say Vince made a lot of promises to him upon his return to the company in 94 that never came to fruition. Does Bruce know anything about what was planned for Bundy after his return? Yeah, it was Chris. Come on back and let's see what happens again. It's a classic tale of talent. People in general will hear what they want to hear out of events. Conversation event says, you know, Hey, uh, that outfit looks great. Ah, Vince loved this outfit. This is what I'm wearing, you know, forever and ever from now on. Um, or it says, I could definitely see you at some point being a champion. Vince promised me the title. That's what they hear. And it's uh, as far as promises, he, he was promised opportunity like everyone else. And there were no other promises made. Do you know who Bundy rode with? He rode with my fat ass from, from Stanford to the hotel when he came back. Um, God, I don't. What do you think his uh, legacy in pro wrestling will be? Is it all about that Saturday night's main event with Hogan and WrestleMania two? Do you think, you know, I, I think that it's going to be about the five count and believe it or not, I think more people would probably know Bundy for slamming little beaver and the elbow drop at WrestleMania three, 
simply because of that massive audience that saw that and remembers that and the just absurdity of it all. Well, I'm glad we got to pay homage to one of the great big men of all time, a character and a half man. Uh, but next week we're doing something that we have planned almost since the beginning. I think it was 2017 when we both agreed that we were doing next week's show. Uh, it's November 13th. It's the late great Eddie Guerrero on the 15 year anniversary of his death. Is this going to be one of our most emotional and, and important episodes that you've ever done? Do you think? Looking forward to it, not looking forward to it all at the same time. We'll round out the month of November with Survivor Series 1995, and then, of course, Survivor Series 2005. And at some point this month, we want to block out some time and pay tribute to the incredible Andre the Giant. Uh, that's our plan for adfreeshows.com. You get all these shows early and ad-free there. And, uh, Bruce, I don't know that you've seen uh, but your brother made his ad free shows debut earlier this week, breaking down classic matches, explaining why they worked and why we loved them so much. That's probably right up your alley, isn't it? Yes, it is. And if there's anybody that can tell you the whys and why nots of the business, it would be Dr. John Richards. Don't forget to check him out. It's x-ray with Dr. Tom over at adfreeshows.com. If you've got a question for next week for Eddie Guerrero, it's easy to ask. Scoot over to at Pritchard show. He is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. And we are out of time. We'll see you back right here next week for something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Rock on. By the way, the best way to introduce something to wrestle to the wrestling fan in your life is to send them to our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle. Do us a favor. Go hit that subscribe button right now. You'll get a sneak peek of upcoming episodes, lots of fun clips to show your friends. And maybe best of all, we have a ton of new giveaways headed your way over at youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle. Plus we've got a ton of new gimmicks up at boxofgimmicks.com. For instance, we've got a lot of Dave Silva's cover arts on posters. There's lots of different ways to support the show and be a part of the ad free show community. Check them out right now at boxofgimmicks.com. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button over at youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle. The most hated jeweler in America is excited to introduce you to someone very special. She's beautiful, classy, and she's brilliant. She will dazzle you. People can't stop staring at her. Meet Krista. She's easy. Wait, what? Krista is Steven Singer's most loved engagement ring and takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, 100% eye flawless, near colorless, high quality, round, brilliant cut diamond expertly set into a classic solitaire Tiffany setting that will withstand the test of time. Krista is available. She's ready for love and ready to meet you. Steven Singer isn't in the jewelry business. He's in the love business. This magnificent full one carat round, brilliant cut diamond is only $31.98. Real jewelry doesn't have to be expensive. Plus free shipping and 12 months interest-free financing. Steven showroom is open by appointment only or go now to I hate and click on the Krista ready for love engagement ring. Steven singer jewelers, real jewelry, real experts for your real love. That's I hate Hey, real quick, before we get out of here, I want to remind you that we're making the impossible possible over at SaveWithConrad.com. 
but don't take my word for it. Ask my man, Brian from Louisville, Kentucky. He saved a boatload of cash with SaveWithConrad.com. left us a five-star review. And he had this to say, Conrad's team was able to get me an excellent rate on my mortgage. A competing company said it was impossible to get us this rate. Guess they were wrong. Thanks again for helping me save a lot of money. What are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. We're licensed in more than 40 states. It's no cost, no obligation. And if we can't save you some cash, we won't waste your time. But maybe best of all, you don't need perfect credit to do this. But if you hurry right now, you're going to get the cash infusion you need just in time for the holidays. You get to skip your single biggest bill, your house payment for two months, and we can even help you knock out your credit card debt. But most importantly, cut years off of your loan. Well, it sounds too good to be true, but we can do it for you right now at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com before it's too late. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.